0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Uh, before we get started, I want to give you a quick announcement. This was said in the video announcements, but we're going to repeat it again. Um, first of all, just thank you for your generosity. You guys donated um, all the backpacks we needed for Backpacks Buddy in the last few weeks, so thank you for that. Um, I think that's, that's related to Temple, uh, T I S D. But Apple Tree is related to Belton and Academy. And we would love for you to go to our hub on our website and uh, you can donate to um, it's $67, covers uh, new shoes, socks, school supplies, a backpack for kids that are part of uh, Belton and also Academy ISD. And so um, we'd love to have you do that. Go to the hub and, and sign up for that. So, um, again, good morning. Uh, welcome back. It is so good. To See you at least a part of your face that I can actually see. So it's really good to see you Um, I always knew people wore masks in church, but this is like a different level of that. So whole different thing Um, So we do ask that you please keep yours on the whole time that you're in the service We know it can be a pain, but that's just what we're asking everyone to do Um, So I have noticed recently that my ability to recognize people's eyes and foreheads has been really challenged as of late I was at HEB a while back during the beginning of the pandemic, and this lady with a mask said, Hey, Dave, and I'm going, I don't know who you are. (laughs) And she was the mom of one of my students. So um, we're going to have those moments here at the church as well. And so as we gather back together, you might need to let people know who you are. Everyone doesn't have a big white beard like Guy Fowler, okay? We can't can't always determine who it is. Um, So I'll give a quick warning to... uh, Anybody who's kind of sitting in this middle section right here, because that's where the camera used to be. And we had to stare at the camera, so don't over-spiritualize it if I'm just staring in your direction this morning um, as we preach. So today we're continuing in our psalm series, and we're going to be in Psalm chapter 90 this morning. And this is really part two of our prayer series, the book of Psalms. There's a a quote that I've always loved by C.S. Lewis And this is really about prayer. And the quote is this: "We must lay before Him what is in us, not what ought to be in us." And so, as you think about our prayer series tied into the Psalms, and as you think about, um, I know a lot of us approach our prayer life with with a lot of pretense, and we gotta say things the right way and do things the right way. And I've always loved how the Psalms just lay things bare before God in all honesty. And so if you're someone that, that thinks to yourself that you've got to have it all together as you pray and pray a certain way, the Psalms really kind of give you a model that God wants you to bring to him whatever is in you, not what's supposed to be in you. He'll, he'll get you there, but he wants, he wants you to bring to him whatever's in you. So I have a lot of students that will say things like, you know, I, I want to pray, but I just feel like God isn't there. And I want to say, well, have you read the Psalms? Most of the psalms are about that. God's given us prayers that we're supposed to pray those kinds of things to him. And so you don't, you don't put before him what you think he, he wants to hear. You put before him what's in you, not just what ought to be in you. And so this would really reflect our prayer lives as we study the book of Psalms. Whenever we study the book of Psalms, we first think of David. And today's psalm is, about, is, is written by Moses. This is the oldest psalm ever written. Psalm 90. So last week, Tim shared the backstory of Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 90 also has a backstory. And you know that Moses lived to be 120 years old. And you could break his life into three segments. Ages 0 to 40, he was raised in Pharaoh's house. And then he killed an Egyptian, and he fled off to Midian. And then there in Midian, from ages 40 to 80... He met his wife, he tended his father-in-law's sheep, he became a shepherd, and then from 80 to 120, he returns back to lead the people out of Egypt. So part of his retirement package was to lead a grumbling and complaining people in the wilderness, in the desert. So he spends his last days in the wilderness leading the Israelites. And we know this pandemic has forced us into isolation and what feels like exile, Moses' whole life could be seen that way. So in his youth, um, he lived in exile from his people as he was a part of Pharaoh's house. And then after killing the Egyptian, he flees off to Midian, where for 40 years he lives in exile from his people in Egypt. Then he returns back to lead Israel out of Egypt. But even with that, many rejected his leadership, and he's isolated and alone once again. So Moses' whole life could really be characterized by That idea of being, feeling kind of alone and isolated in exile. So Moses knows what it is to be alone. So some think that he may have written this psalm in Midian while he was there. But it later became a psalm for the nation as they waited to enter into the promised land. So you can really break the passage into three different sections. So the first section is remembering the past. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. So, again, I don't want you to lose the personal nature of Psalm 90. Because if it's written while Moses is alone in Midian, he's thinking back on Israel's history, and he's thinking back on the generations before him. And so, he's thinking about when you called Abraham, you became his dwelling place. Then you called Isaac, you became his dwelling place. Then for Jacob, you became his dwelling place. And then even as Joseph was sold as a slave in Egypt or to Egypt, you were also his dwelling place. While he was in prison, you were his dwelling place. And so he's thinking back on all the previous generations and how God has been their dwelling place from generation to generation, looks back on Israel's story, and he can see God's hand in the nation's life, but also his own life. Like think about the lonely nights out in Midian, how he can reflect on that and see how God has been his dwelling place while he has been isolated in exile in Midian. So later when Israel sings this psalm as a nation, God would be their dwelling place through the tabernacle as they wandered, but also later at the temple in Jerusalem. So I want you to understand this. When it says... God, you have been our dwelling place. What's being communicated is that their dwelling place isn't just a location. It's a person. And so the person of God has been with them throughout their history. And so if you and I could see God in this way, that our dwelling place isn't about just a circumstance or a situation, but it is a person. Oh, that we can see God in that same way. So no matter where they've been or where they're going to go, God's going to be right there with them as a nation. In verses 1 and 2, Moses highlights the eternal nature of God. And then it contrasts that with verses 3 through 6, where he gets into talking about man and the brevity of life for man. So look at verse 3. It says, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. So Moses just wrote about God being eternal. was talking about man's, uh, man's frailty, and It's true, death really is the great equalizer. I did a funeral for a man on Tuesday from this church who was healthy two months ago. And so death, the reality of death has a way of of cutting us all down and making sure we understand that, that it is the great equalizer, that no one is exempt from it. So think back on the creation story when it refers to dust, so God makes Adam from the dust. And I've always thought about how humbling it is, when you read the Genesis account of creation, how humbling it is that God made us from dirt. Like when you walk outside and you see the dirt, right? We, we don't think of the dirt as being some grandiose thing, do we? And yet you look at that and you go, that is how God made us. And so if we're thinking highly of ourselves, it's a great thought, a great humbling exercise to remind ourselves that's what God used to make mankind. And it's a humbling idea to think about. I think you and I, we spend our days denying the reality that death is coming for each one of us. When my dad was my age, I thought he was ancient. Now, of course, I don't think of myself that way, right? So here's my thinking now. As long as there's just one player in the NFL that's my age, I don't feel so old. So I'm 43. Tom Brady is 43. So theoretically, I could still play in the NFL, right? So as we get older, we tend to defy our age. And this became apparent to me recently when my son uh bought a ripstick and also a skateboard. This is my son. Go ahead and come on up, Landon. This is my son, Landon. Give him a hand. He's gonna join us on stage today. And so Landon just turned thirteen and he gets this thing called a ripstick. So if you're if you're one of the older people and you no know offense, in here, this is a ripstick. It's kind of like a skateboard with a death wish. All right? And uh So he's been learning how to ride it, and I've been trying to learn, and I've been getting pretty good, right? No? That's just mean. Okay, so um, I want you guys to see just how this works and how difficult it is, but how easy he makes this look. So go ahead and just show them how this thing works. Here we go. We practiced this yesterday. All right, you you see how this is, he's pretty smooth with this thing. You see that, right? All right, awesome. Give him a hand. So he goes around the house just like that all the time and just cutting corners and stuff. And I'm like, let me try this thing. And I just can't get the hang of it, right? I can't get the hang of this thing. But the thing is, um, he also recently got a skateboard. And so I'm like, give me that skateboard. Because I used to do a little bit when I was a kid. I did a little bit of that as a kid, right? So um, I'm in the kitchen dining room. And I said, hey, kids, do you guys think I can do a 180. And so I tried to do a 180 there in the kitchen and I almost got it. I got really close. And so I tried to go for it again. So I'm teeing the thing up and uh, they're watching me do this. And as I make this turn, this skateboard just flies out from under me, shoots across the kitchen, down the stairs, and I'm horizontal. And I come and land on the elbow that I broke a year and a half ago, right? And so... It could have been really, really bad. And so you might blame that whole thing on me. I blame my wife because she wasn't there at home to stop me, okay? <laughs> and so, but it's true. As we age, we don't want to think of ourselves as being old. We, want, we, we try to defy our age, and, and uh, we don't want to admit our limitations. And so we spend our days denying this reality that we are returning back to dust, And so if you look at verse 4, look at verse 4 with me again. It deals with the passage of time. Whenever we want time to speed up, what does it do? It slows down. Whenever we want time to slow down, what does it do? It speeds up. So it's why 0 to 18 takes forever, but once you get married and have kids, it goes at warp speed. People all the time say to me, they'll see my kids, they'll go, enjoy them while they're young. They leave the house before you know it. Um, I had this habit when my kids turned like six, I started doing math. I'm like, wait, they're six now. So if you just do that two more times, like they're 18, they're out of the house. And when they're 12, I'm like, well, they've, they're two thirds of the way out of the house. I start doing math. It's kind of a depressing thing to do. But the passage of time is what this verse is talking about. So for God, a thousand years is like the midwatch of the night, which would be three hours. And so in light of eternity we're a drop in the bucket by comparison. So looking at verse five, this refers to whole generations like just a dream. Ever wake up from a dream and it all just seems so real, but by noon you've forgotten most of it? That's how our lives are gonna be or can be. So here's a humbling exercise for us. How many of you, raise your hand, know the first name of each one of your grandparents? Raise your hand. All right? Now, how about the first name of just one great-grandparent? Raise your hand. Okay, so a decent number, but not that many. So it's humbling to know that in about three generations, we're forgotten. And that's by family, right? So Moses reflects on the brevity of life here and the reality of death. And he makes this connection that most of us, I think, fail To make. So he's reflecting on the past and the brevity of life, but now he gets into talking about the wrath of God. So listen, guys, welcome back to church. We talked about death and now the wrath of God. (laughs) This is your first Sunday back with us in person. Look at verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They, they are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So we understand, of course, that life is fleeting. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But we almost never connect that to the wrath of God. The wrath of God doesn't preach so well at funerals, does it? So don't don't lose the background of the passage here. So this generation of Israelites had sinned against God, and God said they couldn't go into the promised land, and that included Moses, their leader. Remember Numbers chapter 13 and, and 14? Moses sends spies into Canaan, and everyone is scared. And there's only two men, Joshua and Caleb, that have faith, they can go in and take the land. And so the rest of the people start complaining and saying, why did you bring us here, Moses? Just take us back to Egypt. And so then God threatens to wipe out the generation. And then Moses prays for God to relent, and God does. But as a consequence, they couldn't enter the land. And so everyone is waiting now for this generation to die off. It is the world's longest funeral march. For this generation. So Moses knows that we're under a curse. So Moses is talking here about the curse that we are all under because of our own sin. Remember, who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses did. And so Moses knows a thing or two about Genesis 1 through 3. So he understands this idea that because of our sin, we're under this curse, the wrath of God, that we deserve physical and spiritual death. We deserve eternal separation from God. And so, do we let the reality of physical death remind us of this other reality, which is that we deserve, we truly deserve eternal separation from God? I think 2020 has made us more aware of our frailty for many of us than ever before. And then in verse nine, it says, Our years end like a sigh. When I saw that phrase, I just thought of this image. Uh, several I think I told you the story a while back, but several years ago, I had an uncle who was an atheist, and he was a doctor down in Houston at M.D. Anderson. And he asked me to do his funeral. And so I went down to meet with him, and he had a brain tumor, and it was getting really bad. So I went to go meet with him to talk about his funeral. And we've tried to witness to him numerous times, and he just said, I just, I just don't believe that. But I want you to do my funeral. And so I was gonna, agreed to do that. And I can, I'll never forget the, um, in fact, one time I was preaching on this stage, and he called me during a sermon while I was up here with my phone on the podium, and that's when he asked me to do his, while well, my, my phone's sitting here, I still have that message on this phone. I just can't bring myself to erase it. But I go into his apartment, and he is on the couch, and there's some people helping him out, doing some things um, with his health and everything, and I'm, I'm just looking at him, and, and the night before, he had had some kind of a, a, a thing at MD Anderson where they were honoring his accomplishments, and he had done some things internationally and had some notoriety, and he does like to talk about his accomplishments. And I remember seeing him on this couch, laying down, and just weak physically, and when I first came into the room, he just started saying how, man, last night was so great. All these people were there to honor me and start spouting off his accomplishments and how great it was and how much fun that was. But as he's saying these words, you can just hear the weakness in his breath, in his voice. And I will never forget that image that in, as the sigh of death began to come for him he was still just reveling in his successes and his accomplishments. And just the irony of that, that image will never leave my mind. And so for some people, as as the sigh of death begins to happen, they just still glorify themselves. But for those whose lives are centered on Christ, the sigh of death comes and it brings glory to God. I think of this past Tuesday, when I, I did Peter Denharder's funeral, and he is he is from the Netherlands, been here for about forty years in Temple, Texas, and it was very evident from those that shared that how his life he wanted it to point to the glory of God. And so we live streamed that service all over the world to people back in in Holland. They heard the gospel because as he as the sigh of death took place there, he wanted it to glorify God. Then you get to verse 10. And it says, This life is full of toil and trouble. Many in this room know that all too well. This life is a contradiction that we're living. On the one hand, we we idolize this life and worship this life. But on the other hand, this life brings much toil, trouble, and suffering. So Moses saw toil and trouble. In the palace, he saw it for his people. He's isolated in Midian for 40 years. He comes back to lead his people and they rebel and complain. Moses wants to go into the promised land, but he didn't get to do that. Moses understands toil and trouble. So when when in your life have you come to realize that life is toil and trouble? Some learn that truth really early in life. For others, it might take a while. I would say that most will learn it at least by their late 30s, early 40s. For some of you, you have have dates on the calendar where life just, it just changed suddenly. Maybe a sudden death, maybe a surprise diagnosis, maybe a marriage crisis. You you think of life before and after that event. Before I had joy and, and gladness, and now I have pain and sadness. When you look at your children you, you envy their innocence and their carefree attitude. Whenever a memory pops up on social media, five, six, seven years ago, you look at those pictures thinking, if I can just get back to that place. You look at those memories wishing you could crawl back into those moments. And do you know how that I know you do that? Because that's what I do. I think for me, Around like mid thirties, early forties, I just began to, to really understand and feel the, the heaviness of life. I think we've all experienced that to an extent. I think of Psalm 102, verse 4, where it says, My heart is struck down like grass and has withered, I forget to eat my bread. Have you ever been just so distraught that you you forget to eat? In other psalms, David says that his tears are his food. Is that where you are today? Whenever we are in these places, there's a couple of different reactions we can have. Here's the one that God wants us to have. This is the linchpin of the whole of Psalm 90. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. There is something about the, the brevity of life that teaches us, that teaches us wisdom. There are many, this is the reaction that we should have when it comes to the reality of death, but that's not how most of us respond. So many respond with what's called a midlife crisis. So what's behind the midlife crisis for most people? If, if we begin to experience the heaviness of life in our, what, late 30s, early 40s, it might explain the midlife crisis. This can happen in all kinds of ways. One of, the, one of the most common is maybe a divorce or an affair, something like that. Someone named Esther Perel is a therapist, and she did a TED Talk on this a, a while back called uh, Why People Cheat. She's a couples counselor. And you could take out the word affair and replace other things with this, but here's what she said in that talk. She said, affairs are an act of betrayal, And they're also an expression of longing and loss. At the heart of an affair, you will often find a longing and a yearning for an emotional connection, for novelty, for freedom, for autonomy, a wish to recapture lost parts of ourselves, or an attempt to bring back vitality in the face of loss and tragedy. She then says, When we seek the gaze of another, it isn't always our partner we are turning away from. It isn't so much that we are looking for another person as much as we are looking for another self. She also says that many tell her when they had affairs, they felt alive, usually coinciding with bad news at the doctor's office, a friend who died too soon, or or people experience how hard life can be, and they feel shattered, and this is their way of trying to put themselves back together again. She also says this, some affairs are an attempt to beat back deadness. It's an antidote antidote to death. So these kinds of things, this is an attempt to deny death, to hide ourselves from that reality, to numb ourselves to it. And it's not just the midlife crisis that happens. Today, people are having what's called a a quarter-life crisis, this happens in the late 20s, early 30s and usually centers around um, marriage and career and uncertainty. And so it's, it's happening today. I recently read that, that 86% of our millennials experience this thing called a, a quarter-life crisis. And for some people, when, when they feel the clock ticking, it leads to this crisis, maybe a faith crisis. But God says here through Moses let that reality teach you wisdom. When you come face to face with how breakable life is, don't run for cover. Don't try to deny it, but let it teach you. The reality of death can can teach us about the reality and seriousness of sin, which teaches us that we're under this curse because of our sin which then shows us the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sin. But then guess what? That gets to point us to his mercy and grace. And so it all comes full circle. My wife recently said she wants to write an article titled, Why You Should Let Your Kids Go to Funerals. Now recently, um, we, we take our kids, we noticed how recently we take our kids to a funeral and wouldn't see other kids there. And we we shouldn't hide death from our kids. We can let it teach them. Let it teach them wisdom. Whenever we try to numb the pain of death, we just cause more pain for ourselves and other people. But when we we let it teach us, we come to understand a much better story. I think it's a story that, that Moses understands as you look into verse 13. Look how this Psalm ends. Verse 13. Return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor Of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So Moses lived a really hard life. Moses wanted two things he wanted to see the promised land, he wanted to see the face of God. He never saw the promised land, and God only showed him his back. So Moses is waiting to die in the wilderness with a rebellious generation, but instead of it leading to anger and bitterness at God, it leads to worship and prayer. So Moses, he cries out here for God's mercy. It's okay for us in the midst of this pandemic to cry out for God's mercy. Moses says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love And so if Israel can be satisfied with God's steadfast love in the desert waiting to die, we can be satisfied with his love in the midst of a pandemic. His love satisfies. It's not just a change in circumstances. His love satisfies us. The last few months, I know you can understand this. The last few months, the days start to get real heavy, don't they? And But there's just something about mourning. If there's one thing I love the last five months, it's rediscovering mourning. The mornings. Because my, my routine's totally changed. What I'll do now is I'll go for a run and I'll go for a prayer walk most mornings. And recently, I was running down Hickory by my house, and I see two TBCers. We start talking. I see three more. We all start talking And then Chase walks up. We could have done church, like right there. And it was just really cool to have the fellowship of of that in the morning. But I love that time. There's just something about the morning. There's a freshness to it. And it's a reminder. It's like you can sense the steadfast love of God in a more real way, I think, in the freshness of the morning. And if you look at verse 16. So look at Moses after all the suffering and disappointment He has seen what is his greatest hope. It's to see faith passed down from one generation to the next. I love that we have some younger generations in this room. The kids are here. Everyone's in here. And they're watching their own live stream around our our campus. But Moses wants to see the faith passed down from one generation to the next. Many of us right now just can't wait to get back to normal. But here's the question. Have we let this teach us wisdom? What are we going to say about 2020 to future generations? How are we using it to teach them wisdom? Are we telling them, here's how my idols have been exposed. Here's how God's taught me wisdom. Are they hearing our testimony and our stories that are happening right now in the midst of this? And then lastly, in verse 17, Moses is stuck out here in this desert with these people, but he knows that God still has work for them to do. And so Moses understands that we're in this desert, this wilderness, but God still has to strengthen our hands and give us work to do. He gets that. And so for us right now in this wilderness, there is still a lot of work for us to do. You know, right now, you know this, life just seems so fragile right now. But you and I, here's the good news, you and I worship one who became fragile for us, who took on death, who became dust for us so we could have life. And so we do not deny death or numb the pain of death, but let it point you to the one who defeated it. You know, it, it, it's possible to, to number our days while still counting our joys, as the book of James talks about. And I think 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18 has this same idea. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the kind of vision that Moses had in the wilderness. May God give us that same vision as well. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to see into the heart and mind of Moses as you led him to write these words. And later on, as the people of Israel would sing these words in unison as they experience their own exile, their own tribulations. We just thank you that we get to hear those words and see how they relate to our present circumstance and our situation. God, I pray for, for any of us here this morning that are running from the realities that we know are coming for all of us. Lord, we, we pray that you'd help us, help us to allow that to teach us wisdom, namely that you came and you defeated death and you offer us life, that you became dust for us so that we could have life. I pray that if anyone does not know that this morning, they would cry out to you in repentance and seek your forgiveness and seek your righteousness, Lord. God, we know that for all of us in the last few months especially, life just got real serious. But God, help us not to run from that. Help us to run to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.